stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. I seem to be getting some of my favorite episode recordings um, from referrals from some of my other episodes that I loved and from (laughs) my closest friends on LinkedIn and other platforms that I've never actually met in person. Introduced me to Sandra Winterbach, who's my guest today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. And I'm so excited to get started on this interview. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Well, don't, you know, don't praise the end of the day just yet. We haven't even talked on the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it ends up to be completely boring. (laughs) Oh, somehow I doubt that. (laughs) It seems very unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd love to just jump right in. And first, um, just so our audience has a little context for this conversation, I'd love for you to share um, a story about a recent work experience that really demonstrates what you do and why you do it. Do you have kind of a a basic description of a a recent interaction? An interaction? No, but a recent story, yes. And that's from yesterday, probably, Um, because I'm working on this book right now and did some research for a chapter of it yesterday. And it just blew my mind and and that's that's why I do this work is really because uh, there are so many things that I never knew and that now I know them and and I just can't not do my work anymore with knowing these things and yesterday that moment um, that realization was on and was doing research on fertility treatments um, because I have a history myself or not a history, a present really of um, sort of infertility issues and miscarriages and all of that and finding my way through that. And um, that's led me to now writing a book about it um, at the same time. And I was doing all this research on these treatments and how they work and, and sort of what are the odds of success and, you know, all of the statistics around it. And one number that I found just struck me because According to the doctors in Germany, I live in Germany, um, that do these treatments, they have this yearly report, annual yearbook or whatever they call it, where they publish all the statistics. And in there, sort of at the very end of the whole thing, 60 pages long, they have a page, a graph or a table that gives the indications of why couples decide to do treatment, fertility treatment. And... 43% of the 
reasons, let's say, um, were the men. Um, there was no indication on the female side. Apparently, the women were completely fine, yet they are the ones who get janked up with hormones and all the surgical interventions and all of that, right? When the problem is the sperm of the men, like that just boggled my mind. Like that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's those moments that why I do my work is to see those um, to see how we work sometimes as humans, how we think we do the best thing, because these people do it for the best intentions, right? But how sometimes we just don't see what's right in front of our eyes. And, and if we can change that, and if we can change, just look at it from a slightly different perspective, what becomes possible afterwards, that's what I'm really passionate about. And and to give people those choices or to help them find these choices for themselves um, and find their way uh, that might be different than what anybody else is doing, but it's just right for them. That's what I'm passionate about. And yeah, what fires me up when I learn these things. <laughs> so are you coaching others to um, address these issues or um, tell me about that? Uh, well, right now I'm not coaching anyone on it. I'm completely just focused on writing this book um, in, in that sense. Um, there was a lot of, I'm writing about it. Um, I've written two articles on Medium, for example, about it already. And every time I talk about this topic, I just get so much resonance from people. So many stories that are hidden in the dark that, that are never told. Um, so many women and men actually um, who have experience in this area, who have their own grief, their own losses, their own journeys full of despair and, you know, so many tragic stories that I never knew existed two years ago. Um, I, I just saw all these women with their children and their babies. And I thought, why me? Why am I the only person, you know, who, who is not fertile? Apparently I'm not even 30 yet. I, I meant to be super there, right? Um, why is this happening to me and all of that stuff? And, and yeah, as soon as I started talking about it to people, I realized that that's completely, that was completely not true. So many people suffer from it. And in fact, it's more likely, um, my gynecologist said that once, it's more likely that a woman who has at least two children also had one, a miscarriage somewhere along the lines than it is that she didn't have one. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's how common they actually are. And that's, um, yeah, I don't know, just crazy. So I'm... I'm doing my work right now mostly for myself, to be honest, to find my way through this and to realize how my own health is really intricately linked to that and how what I can do for myself, really, to take care of myself and, and get myself into a position where my body and my hormones and all the intelligence in my unconscious brains and, you know, the entire the entire beauty of the human system let's say mm -hmm. is feels safe and feels ready to say hey I can take care of myself now 
bring it on. You know, I can also take care of a baby right now. Not in in that state. And I wasn't in that state a year ago or two years ago. And and that's why things happened the way they did. And uh, why I'm so grateful because now uh, with all this work that I'm doing, my future will be very different uh, than the one that I would have had if I had gotten pregnant straight away and had my babies and never looked into these things and it would have just hit me some other time. Right. So. Mm. Well, there are two things, three things that popped into my head as, as you were speaking, one was that first thing about um, so many women have had miscarriages, but didn't necessarily know it. Um, and I remember hearing those statistics, 15%, a minimum of 15% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. Um, that's that's what we know of. And we we know that there are far more than that because um, we could have a, a fertilized egg implant and then slough off within two weeks and we wouldn't know that it had been fertilized in the first place. And I learned that when I was pregnant with our first son because I thought that I had miscarried. And when I went to the doctor, she said, well, it wouldn't be that surprising. She didn't have great bedside manner, let's just say it like straight up front, she was like very matter of fact, very clinical. Well, you know, many pregnancies end in miscarriage. I'm like, but I really wanted this, right? Like there was just no, um, I knew she was a compassionate human, but I think that she was kind of um, cynical at that point early in a a pregnancy because she had seen so many. Um, but the beauty of this particular doctor in Washington, D.C. was that after she left me kind of in this shocky, oh, my gosh, that was so clinical. And I'm sitting here with heartbreak or potential heartbreak. Uh, it was amazing. She said, excuse me. She left the room and sent in her nurse, Paula, who happened to be super warm and affectionate and compassionate. And she just hugged me and let me cry. And so my doctor actually knew that she wasn't the right person to be in the room with me at that moment, which wow. gave me great confidence in her as a doctor. Yeah. But anyway, I, I remember hearing that. And that's part of what popped into my head as you were speaking. The other thing was the very beginning of the conversation that almost half of fertility issues are a result of the man's sperm not being right for it at that point in their lives or for that particular woman's eggs or whatever the the reason is. And yet the first thing that popped into my head is so many times we women take it on as if it's our fault, even when it's not like we failed in some way, or we did something karmically to deserve this. (laughs) I mean, I know we go through these horrible internal dialogues about it. So that was the second thing. And then the last thing was this, the, the last part of, the, the, of what you were saying, which is that gratitude for having this experience. Of course, you would have been grateful and honored to have gotten pregnant and had a baby right away. Mm-hmm. And I keep coming back to this whole idea that these things happen in our lives for such specific reasons. Most of the time, we, we never know. But you have yeah. this gift of kind of having an idea about why this is happening, that Hmm. you know that you can make a positive impact on the lives of other people who are struggling with these issues, and that you are learning things about yourself that have long-term potential positive consequences in your life. And that 
to me is just huge and powerful. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm honored and flattered that you say I would have been grateful and, and everything uh, the first time around. Uh, the truth of it is, I don't think I would have been, to be honest. Like, I was in this mindset at the very beginning of this journey of, okay, I've always, you know, uh, used the pill and everything to make sure that I don't get pregnant because they always tell you the minute you don't do it, you get pregnant, right? Which the younger right. you are, the more true that is, unfortunately. But They never tell you the second side of the story that just because you don't take it doesn't mean you get pregnant automatically. And so that was my assumption. Like I took, uh, I was using the IUD, I had my doctor remove it. And I assumed like I literally kind of the same day I looked, I typed it into this birth date calculator. When, when is my baby going to be born? Like <laughs> that was, that was my, where my A assumption, big assumption was, you know? Right. right. Big <laughs> it just assumption. never never occurred to me that that was not what was going to happen. I had my plan and that's how it was going to go. And I, I saw this whole project as, um, you know, a project, first of all, and then a, you know, I make a baby kind of journey, which the more I've learned about it and, and had to learn about it because I needed to find a way to help myself, the more I realized that that's completely not true. I don't make a baby. I'm like the you know, the host, maybe that invites, exactly. It's just You're like a vessel, right? these little babies, even when there's just a couple of cells and just swimming around or can't even swim themselves, but have to be carried by the little hairs in your uh, tubes and all of that. They have their fate in their own hands from the beginning. And they're kind of reliant on us as mothers and fathers um, for that matter to sort of provide for them, but they are the ones who take the stuff that they need in the end and who, who you know, build the placenta and, and everything that happens to nurture a baby and to grow their own organs. Like my body has no clue how to build a, a heart for a baby. The baby somehow knows that and even when it doesn't have a brain yet. And so it's, Like this whole humility sort of that I've learned through this whole journey of this miracle, really, that it is and and how that's so unattainable for my little prefrontal cortex to, <laughs> to presume that I have any idea of how any of that works and that I could do this by myself. Um, it's just a ridiculously wrong assumption and, and I'm really... I'm really, really grateful for this lesson because it's, I think it's true for, for parenting later on, probably as well, um, but for, for yes. everything in life, really, <laughs> right? And to have that distinction of, you know, some things are in my control and others I just have to accept and, and kind of just, I don't get a say in them. Um, that, that was a new experience for me as well, I guess. <laughs> This whole idea of humility just really mm -hmm. resonated with me. That idea that um, we may be in a different place now. We can say, oh, I've learned all these things. We have to keep in our heads that two years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago, we thought we knew things then. Mm -hmm. You know, so every, yeah. every time I feel like I know things, I have to keep that sense of humility and curiosity 
to know that in two years and five years, I'm going to look back at myself now and say, gosh, I thought I knew so much. And now I know so much more. And Mm -hmm. um, just to keep on going like that, I mean, until you die, basically. Yeah, right. right? That's life. (laughs) It is. Well, it's a good life. I I keep coming back to this whole idea of how we define the good life, how we define success. And, and I keep coming back to, it's not necessarily about happiness Mm -hmm. because I think happiness is fleeting and it's something we can choose. Um, I think now in my early fifties, as it's more about satisfaction, Mm -hmm. it's more about knowing what's in your life and how you've contributed to it. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I love that. This, this chase for happiness, it's like, as if that could ever be the only thing we ever feel, right. As if we could ever have just this one emotion and be on it the entire time, just be high all day long, every day, right? It, it doesn't work. It never works. Um, it's it's the up and down of of everything that happens in life, and 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 I don't know to just to to really just enjoy the moment and the journey that it is, right? And yeah, and also with all the humility at the same time also know that we always have a choice and that we make our own decisions and and how we show up and how we think of ourselves for example um, in this specific area of fertility where i refused to to accept that you know artificial fertilization was my only fate and that was the only way to I could have a family or a baby just just I refused to accept that like that's not something I have to accept um but there are things that that I do and and but to distinguish between the two of them I don't know when you figured this out um but it's tricky right (laughs) I don't think anyone ever truly figures out what we have control over and what we don't. I mean, I remember um, many years ago, I read that book, Eat, Pray, Love. And Mm -hmm. while I wasn't a big fan of the book, I I felt like it was pretty self-absorbed and narcissistic. At the same time, there were aspects of it that resonated with me. And I only read it because my mother and sister both had been recently divorced, had had really interesting relationships with their former husbands. And um, they really wanted me to read this book because it it resonated so deeply with them. Mm-hmm. So I said, of course, of course, I'll read the book if if that's you know something that we can connect on because I love yeah. them, and I wanted to be able to support them in the way they needed to be supported. So I read the book. He really resonated with me was when she describes the difference between fate and free will. Because I have always had a very complicated relationship with those two things. Mm. I've, I've never believed in fate necessarily, but I also believe that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it feels contradictory. And the way this, this author described it was, it's like you wake, every mo- wake up every morning standing on two racing circus horses. 
One is fate and the other is free will. (laughs) And at any given time, you don't know which one to place your weight on and your trust. (laughs) Right? And I think about that every day about what can I do that will make me feel like I've contributed somehow to my own satisfaction in my life? Mm. What can I do right now at any given moment? And it all comes down to being in alignment with my values and the impact I want to have on the world around me. Yeah. Those are the only things I have control over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's how you, how you show up, right? How, what do you make of the deck of cards that's dealt for you? And and I love that story and because the paradox is so, so real, right? And I think we all feel it um, all the time. It's like, how can these things both be true at the same time? They, con- they are contradictory of each other, right? But, mm-hmm. but they are. They are both true at the same time. I can love a person and hate a person at the same time. It's completely possible, even though they are the opposites, right? And Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and in the same way, I can have a choice and I can have no choice at the same time. Um, it's, it's all, yeah, you're probably right. Nobody ever really, truly 100% gets this. And at the same time they do. So maybe that's part of the paradox too. <laughs> <laughs> Another contradiction. Boy, we're full of them this time. Yes, I, I agree. So when you, um, you said, you decided that it, you were not going to just have that decision made for you that infertility could only be treated by this particular strategy or um, yeah. method. What did you do when you decided to fight that? When you decided, and, and fight's the wrong word, when you decided not to surrender to it, which is, mm. it, it, they're different things, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love that you make that nuance um, because I agree. Um, Yeah. The funny thing is um, when you talk about fate and all of that, I think it's really about what helped me or what got me on my track was this being open and talking to people and sharing sort of my struggles and sharing where I was. and, And that opened the door for um people to share back with me and and that sharing back just helped and I realized um like I learned so much about all how common these issues are and and how many people like I've met I've talked to one woman who've who've suffered 16 miscarriages in her life it's like I don't even understand how that's possible in like on a time frame right but that's her life and There are so many other stories, um, also different, but all kind of in a similar path a little bit. And that was the first step to say, okay, so I'm not alone. And then that sort of got me, um, yeah, to keep sharing and to see what else sort of comes my way if I do, right? And, And it's really this, it was really just exploratory, I guess, and trusting that, something will come (laughs) Um, maybe following the curiosity I guess and then and then people like one friend recommended a book to me and I read that book and it just changed how I looked at myself (laughs) what was Um, the book 
I've, I don't know what it's called in English, even though it is an English book, but I read it in German. It's, um, it's, it's a, a women's wisdom, women's bodies or something, I think is the book. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe you can send me the link to that so I can add it to. The yeah, I can for sure. It was written in the nineties too. Um, so it's a really old book. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything in it anymore now that I've done more research, but it's just been the first sort of the first book where the author who was a gynecologist as well, but always kind of um, had been a little bit on the pioneering front of it, I guess, um, <laughs> from what she says and, and incorporates a lot of spiritual um, sort of knowledge into her practice as well and trusting women and empowering women kind of in her book as well and in her practice. And, and that was just so different because I had, been in this like year and a half of feeling completely powerless and small and insignificant in front of my doctors who couldn't help me apparently and and but I thought if they can't then who can it never occurred to me that I could just help myself you know right. in this area and and that was the that was one of the turning points reading that book and then I just got curious so if you know if that book's there then what else is out there and um, I found um, two podcasts actually um, where women shared their stories of their own um, fertility issues and health issues and all of that but also offered for the first time offered very logical explanations for it um, just explained how the body works physiologically how the different systems kind of work together to create our life and like these billions of cells that we're made out of. Right. And, and for the first time, there was a logic to everything that was happening. Um, there's a reason why hormones are balanced or unbalanced the way they are. And, and that's not just random and, and we don't know. I mean, maybe we don't know, but it's not random. There is a logic behind it. And, and a reason why our body decided to have this particular hormonal level at this point in time. Um, and they're not static either. And that was something that always sort of annoyed me, especially when I was in the fertility clinic where I had had a hormonal check done um, like half a year after I started sort of onto this journey. And then another one, when I was in the fertility clinic was a year later. So one and a half years after my start of this journey, basically. And the hormonal, like the consequences was kind of similar. The same hormone was unbalanced and, you know, that sort of stuff. But there was a trend. They weren't exactly the same. All of the numbers were completely different, in fact. And the critical number was going down. And it had that was the right direction because the value that it should have been was lower than the one that it was at. And that just frustrated me because I just felt like, but there is a trend and it's showing in the right direction from last year to this year, the situation has improved and I could also feel it in my cycle and in my, um, like you can actually, once I learned how to actually watch my cycle and understand what it means <laughs> mm -hmm. you could I could just tell that it got better and and then to sit in front of this doctor who who doesn't care about this trend who just sees the picture of what it is right now and, and just goes right. to 
yeah, so this is what we can do for you in this moment. Um, and that just didn't satisfy me. And I was, I loved the, I'm an engineer by training. Now I coach and I write a book, but I, originally I studied engineering. <laughs> and what I loved in my studies was uh, that when I realized that everything in in mechanical engineering, for example, everything happens for a reason. Like a car works because of very simple physical laws that someone has like with the genius idea put together in a very specific way so that they would achieve this result of a rolling car. But the basic rules behind it aren't so complex. They're very simple. They're very straightforward. And and that's how you can break down every piece is what I learned in my studies is you can break down any complex system into its very, very basic parts that anyone can understand really um, if, I don't know, we have the right explanations for it maybe and a good teacher or something. Or curious. We have to be curious. Yeah. And if we're curious, that. that's right. the number one prerequisite, <laughs> Right. Right. And, and so I just loved when, when I found these people who explained stuff from a similar perspective of, okay, this doesn't just happen randomly, but there's, there are rules, there are logics of how the body works and, and how everything interacts with each other. And yeah, and that was, then I got even more curious. It's, it's never ending. It's a vicious circle of curiosity, but... <laughs> It's a great circle of curiosity. Absolutely. I'm loving it, but you know. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it can get overwhelming. I think we, when we're studying something, especially so personal, something we're going through ourselves, it, mm. it feels sometimes like we're going down a rabbit hole and it's hard to get the perspective that we need once we've been diving deeply into it. And I, I think that's why it's so important to, first of all, find others who have gone through it or who are going through it that are, are willing to be listeners and, and also sharing their vulnerabilities. And I think finding the right community is really the key, no matter what kind of transition transformation you're going through, um, finding a community of, of people who also find comfort in that. So the reason I'm, I'm, having this distinction in my head is that grief is an interesting community. You know, people mm -hmm. grieve in different ways and some people want to grieve with others who are grieving a similar loss. When my mother lost her second husband, she wanted to have the camaraderie and support of a support group of other women who had gone through something similar. That's yeah. where she found comfort but our other dear friend, Grace, who lost her husband in a, a tragic accident, she didn't want to be around other people who were grieving that loss. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be able to, and, and I think it's because um, she is a problem solver. And so uh, when she is around other people who are grieving, she wants to be their support and she doesn't feel like there's room for her grief in those situations. So I feel like it's similar when you're processing the kind of experience you're experiencing, where mm. um, you really have to find the, the support network, the right group that feeds those needs 
um, yeah. in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, but the the struggle, I think, in this particular area is not so much that we're in the wrong community f to help us, but that we're alone in it mm. because mm -hmm. most of us don't talk about it, right? It's not like you meet a friend and they ask you, hey, yeah, how's it going? And you're like, yeah, we've been trying to have a baby for 11 months, but it's not been working. And I don't know, like that's not the small talk <laughs> opener that you do, right? It's, right, right. So a lot of times, and people don't ask you either because sometimes the topic is sensitive and they don't want to annoy you and pressure you into having children or stuff like that, right? There are so many, so many stories around the topic, which is why... And a big part of that is that mind chatter that you mentioned at the beginning also of people feeling like they are a failure or, you know, I deserve this, I brought this on myself, whatever, um, whatever stories we tell ourselves is that way too many people keep these stories to themselves mm -hmm. and they never talk to anyone about it. And, and it's difficult because you, like, we have this whole rule even if it's unspoken or if you don't tell anyone that you're like pregnant until you're in like week whatnot right um sort of second trimester now maybe they go down to week nine whatever it is that it's okay to tell people that you're pregnant mm -hmm. the reality is after week eight or yeah probably week seven week eight you only have a, like a 10 chance of miscarrying anymore so it's pretty low and then it goes even lower till like the end of the first trimester but all the losses happened before and people who didn't even know that you were pregnant who never had the chance to feel the joy together with you of this news and the excitement and how new everything is and you know how exhausted you are because the first couple of weeks are It can be rough, right? It's working really hard, really <laughs> <Exactly>. hard, <laughs> really hard. And that's noticeable. And, and they never knew this. So how are you going to go to them afterwards and say, Hey, by the way, I was pregnant. I never told you. And now I'm not anymore. And I'm really sad. Like that's such a weird conversation to have mm -hmm. um, as well. So as long as we keep having this rule of, You don't tell people that you're trying and you don't tell people that you're pregnant until, you know, everything is safe. Well, safe, but anyhow, <laughs> right. almost in safe. In a relative <laughs> sense. In a relative <laughs> sense. I, I have to, I'm coming back to this idea. Um, this is a sensitivity that's not just around fertility and issues mm -hmm. around having babies. This is a sensitivity about individuals. Because mm -hmm. I keep coming back to this idea that for you, if I were to ask, you know, how are you doing? I know you were trying. Um, how's it going? You would tell me. Yeah. Even, even in the first conversation we had a couple months ago when we first were introduced by Andrea, mm -hmm. we would have talked about that. That's just the way we are. Yeah. But there are other women that if I approached like that, would be really taken aback and they wouldn't want to talk about it. And yeah. I think each individual holds their own key to building that community. It has to come from an individual and what 
and making sure their needs are met. Mm. And, and I think we have to know ourselves well enough to know which one of those we are. Are we, are, am I the person that wants people to ask me that mm. I want to talk about it? Or am I the person that really doesn't want to talk about it? And part of that is that we can be so insensitive to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking that, you know, you don't tell people until you hit the certain week because, you know, you want it to be, quote, safe. And yet, when we do tell people early and then we might miscarry, then we have this insensitive person coming to us and saying, Hey, whatever happened? Like, what, where are you in your pregnancy? And we have to relive the grief of the miscarriage because people mm. can be so insensitive. And I just keep coming back to how do we communicate? How do we fix this? I don't, I don't know that there's an answer. I'm just, I'm asking, like, as a woman who would want to talk about it, how do we indicate that? And, mm. and how do we let people know when they're being insensitive so that they don't do that to somebody else? <laughs> well, a lot of those examples are like not necessarily even insensitive, but if, I mean, if I tell someone that I'm trying and uh, maybe I told them I'm pregnant and then a couple of weeks later they ask me, so how's it going? They really don't know. Then, you know, it's not necessarily insensitive that they're asking me that, even though it might throw me back into the, into the grief. And you're absolutely right that not everyone Uh, wants to deal with this topic the same way one of my close friends for example she um, she was trying for a long time as well and never told me while I was talking about all of my sufferings and experiences the whole time and and then she got pregnant and then she told me and and for her that was the right way to do things um, because she didn't she said she felt like if she had talked about it during the process she would have kind of made it bigger than than felt comfortable for her and she was kind of happy to to have it in that in that corner where I don't know it wasn't always present I guess mm. Mm. but yeah I mean it's difficult because uh, a lot of a lot of times I think the only way that worked for me was that if I wanted to talk about it I had to bring up the topic um, and I had to get over the fear of, am I making the other person uncomfortable? Um, you know, what if they don't know how to comfort me in my situation? And all these questions that I had in my head of, okay. can I really be so presumptuous and, and bring this topic to them when maybe they just wanted to have a nice day? And now I bring such a heavy conversation into the room, right? So that was, for me, that was where... Uh, where the trick lay for me to not take responsibility for how the other person might react to me raising this topic. Because um, mm -hmm. most of the times they were glad that I opened the topic because of course they had been wondering, but they didn't dare to ask because they had their own story of, you know, what if uh, I bring her into crises if I mentioned the topic or something right. What if like I'm that? being insensitive? Because nobody wants exactly. to be that person. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's just really being very honest with ourselves. It's the first mm -hmm. starting point. Um, and, 
and trusting in the confidence and, and the power of the person that we're speaking to that they can take care of themselves and they can say themselves if the situation is making them very uncomfortable and they don't know what to say. Like that's, that's not on me. That's, that's their, their own person and they can share that with me. And I will respect that if they do, but in reality, that's never what's happened. Um, at least not in my life so far. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them the benefit of the doubt first. Yeah. And on both ends of that discussion that they will tell you if it's like, I don't know what to say, which I think is the best answer when somebody opens up to you about their grief, whatever that grief is to say, I, I can see that you're hurting and I'm not sure what I can say or, or what I should say. Yeah. Guide me. What, yeah. what can I do for you right now? Exactly. But just mm-hmm. that admitting that as well, admitting again, and that comes back to honesty that we don't always have to have everything figured out. Uh, I, I don't have to know what I'm meant to tell my friend who just said that his wife died a couple of months ago. I, I, we had exactly that conversation um, an hour ago um, where he shared his grief and I would have never asked. I didn't even, I had no clue, right? I, how would I have gotten the idea? But he just shared. And and nowadays I know that it, if a person shares something like this, at least that's what, what happens when I share it, then it's an invitation um, to talk about the topic and it's an invitation to ask questions about it and and listen and and offer any support that we can get right because mm-hmm. I, I had this story um previously if or like a rule for myself i didn't want to be insensitive i didn't want to probe when i was inappropriate so when people would share something that was going on for them that seems very personal um I was I hesitated to ask them questions about it, um, out of respect, like right, <laughs> you know, right, kind of right. And but now, sort of having been in the situation, I know that I would never bring up the topic if I don't want to talk about it. Like I completely have a choice. Nobody ever directly asks me about it. Most, almost never. So whenever I bring it up, it's unconscious, it's conscious and it's on purpose. And mm-hmm. the other person is, is welcome to ask questions, but it's also, of course, I respect their own free will and their own reality of if they don't, if they don't want to talk about that, then that's also fine. And, but yeah, I think we have to start the conversations ourselves. It's, and then see where it goes. <laughs> I think that's very reasonable. And I, I appreciate this um, for myself and for our listeners to be able to think in terms of how we choose with intention to bring up certain topics, um, if we choose, mm-hmm. being comfortable in our skin enough to be able to hear 
either some insensitive, what appears to be an insensitive remark, or I, I'm not sure I'm in a good place to talk about this right now as an answer yeah. to us. And also for the flip side, for somebody who is trying to support or wants to be a friend to somebody who's going through any kind of grief or difficulty, transformation, transition, to be able to either say, I, I don't know what to say, I'm here for you, um, and please guide me here, or yeah. to be able to say, I'm really uncomfortable with this conversation. I'm not sure when I'll be comfortable to talk about this. Just know I love you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That it's as a communication coach, these are always topics that are so fascinating and full of insights to me because I'm not sure I've had, I know I haven't had this kind of conversation with anyone before to be able to as you said, as an engineer, break it out into its simple parts. And that's what we just did. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's really been a very helpful learning in, in this whole university degree, probably my most valuable lesson that I learned that, that yeah, there, there are these parts always. And, and if we get curious about them, then we, we can, we can unmetal them a fair bit. <laughs> a fair bit. I mean, there's always going to be the complication and the the contradiction that we experience. Mm -hmm. But I still I love this idea of being able to break it down into smaller parts, not feeling like you have to make a conversation more complex than it is. I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> Seriously, how to how to simplify these conversations so that we feel comfortable just saying what we need to say. And I, I think it comes down to practice too, mm -hmm. because you've been practicing this for a while. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, I mean, the first time it, it was kind of, you don't know how to do it, don't know what to do at all. Right. Um, doing it wrong a couple of times and, Probably, <laughs> if that's or wrong, a wrong for way you to do or wrong it, but them, right, <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. But maybe not the way I would approach it now. But I think there's a an underlying assumption that if, like, once I signed up for that, um, it just became easier, and and that's sort of this assumption of whatever the other person does, it's with a positive intent. Like, like all of our brains are problem-solving optimization machines, right? They're way more intelligent than any artificial intelligence will ever be. And I have studied them a little bit too. But we just we can work with such complex situations and factor in so many different variables in, in every decision that we do, right? And we always make the decisions from what with all the limitations and all the variables that we have in our equation, what is the best answer that we can get to in taking all of this into account, right? And sometimes what, what feels right to me does not feel right to you. And, and if we re sort of observe each other in those actions, then we think, what's Sarah is being a little insensitive and stupid here, but 
you know maybe maybe you had a you had an, a problem to solve that was about keeping yourself safe and keeping you not overwhelmed or maybe you had to protect yourself from your own grief that you weren't ready to go into. And if you were going to talk about mine, then yours would have popped up. Like, we don't know what happens in, in those calculations in our brains, but, but they always, we always try to find what the best solution for ourselves and for others. And, and that's, that's what I believe of sort of, Yeah, at the bottom of it all and, and, and the core of it all. And that makes communications easier for me because I don't have to assume that the other person wanted to hurt me or wanted to do something evil. I can always, even if they do something that I interpret as, um, well, insensitive, let's stay on that example, I can get curious and, and wonder why they, what was true for them in that moment that they thought this was the best way to react and what situation is this person in that, that, that this is the only solution that makes sense, right? Um, so that really just helped me through conversations that don't go so well <laughs> to say, look, I Clearly love that there's something idea. here that I don't understand. <laughs> right. I love that idea because it kind of brings us full circle back to this whole idea that we uh, we continue to learn, we continue to approach things with curiosity and wonder, and we can look back at ourselves at certain ages and think, okay, I thought I knew these things or I thought I knew mm -hmm. something then, and now look how far I've come. Where am I going to be in five years? And the reason this is so resonant to me is this whole idea of separating yourself and, and interrupting that internal dialogue about why somebody did something or said something, mm. being able to separate yourself from that. You, as I, as I said, you interrupt the internal dialogue yeah. that is making up a story about why they said what they said. And as if it has anything to do with you, really. Exactly. Right. Usually it has doesn't. nothing to do with me at Usually all. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I keep coming back to this idea that we can break it down to that understanding that we don't know everything and mm. that it's, we can't possibly be in that person's head. So having a whole internal dialogue about what they were thinking is useless. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of silly, There is a place for that self-analysis to think, did I contribute to their discomfort? Is mm -hmm. there something that I could have done differently? And, mm -hmm. you know, having, having those thoughts in your head, I think is very valuable as long as it doesn't create this whole separation and boundary between you and other people as if, mm -hmm. uh, you get so uncomfortable and you're so um, self-critical that you don't share what you need to share and, and, and develop those deep relationships through that vulnerability. So yeah, I really appreciate what you just said. I mean, so much that whole idea yeah. of separating yourself and realizing that that other person didn't have malicious intent you're 99% sure <laughs> the person <laughs> really just has something else going on in their heads that you can't possibly know. So, wow. 
wow, see, wasn't boring. This conversation <laughs> wasn't boring, Sandra, not even a little bit. And I'm going to be thinking for a long time about this whole analogy of engineering being able to break things down into their simple parts, that you can do that with anything. You really can. I mean, there's complexity. There's always going to be complexity. But if you can break it oh, down yeah. to that, the simple interaction of what you can see, as opposed to your whole internal dialogue, I see here, <laughs> what am I experiencing directly? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that that could really change the dynamics of communication across the board. Mm. It does. I mean, I haven't invented this. There, <laughs> I've learned this also from others, especially in, in communications. And, um, and so I've been able to witness um, also how, how, yeah, applying these principles kind of to how we interact with others um, makes a difference in my own relationships with like the people I love who sometimes do things that don't make any sense to me <laughs> at all. And, Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> also, right. people I don't love also do lots of things uh, that don't make sense that to me. But sense. for them, right. I don't care so much. But um, <laughs> but no, it's just, it, it makes a big difference in my life for sure. And I've seen it in others as well. So the assumption holds up that it that it could be helpful for more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Simplify. <laughs> wow. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me and talking about these vulnerable topics and being able to apply this story to so many different interactions that we have with others, mm-hmm. being able to be sensitive to it while still getting our needs met. This is, these are really important conversations that need to happen. And I appreciate this sharing that you're doing, particularly about the topic of infertility and the, the difficulties that come along with those conversations. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sarah. It's such a pleasure always to talk to you, really. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a different, it makes a difference when people really care on the other side and... I get that sense from you. So thank you for that. For our listeners, there will be links to connect with Sandra on the blog post associated with this podcast. And um, as soon as we know about your book release, hopefully in the next year or so, we'll make sure to put that on the website as well. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready to start your story portfolio? So you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.